So God, we come before you this morning and we are so grateful. Lord, we remember those words that no greater is a life than this and the one that lays down his life for his friends. God, not only on this Memorial Day as we think about the soldiers who fought time and time again that we could be here in freedom, but also, Lord, you. More importantly, you. God, we remember the sacrifice that you gave us, your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we are in awe of you. We are amazed that we can gather together in this place with free lips. Lord, with your Bible open, we can hear your word for us. God, we're, in, we're amazed that you would speak to us, that the creator of all the universe would, would descend upon us. So Holy Spirit, I just pray now that you would watch over us, that you would guide us in our thoughts. Lord, as we, we read your word, we, we uh, process it, we chew it, we, we think about it. Lord, we ask that it would not just fall on deaf ears, but that we would live your gospel with our lives. And so God, we pray over this church. We pray that you would make us a people who are about building authentic community in Christ. We pray that we would be a church to call home in a place where so many are lost, that you would bring them to us. God, we pray for our valley and uh, Lord, for all the, the newcomers. God, the ones who even this very day are pulling in with their, their moving vans. God, we pray that you would lead them, guide them. Lord, this weekend we pray for our nation. God, we have always been a wayward people. And it's always been you that has brought us back. So God, with repentant hearts, we pray, would you bring us back? Would bring us back to a people who are on their knees before you. Lord, that we might be that, that light on a hill shining in the darkness for a world that needs to see it. But God, right now for the next few minutes, as we open your word, we pray, Lord, give us eyes to see you more clearly. Give us ears to listen for you more intentionally and hearts to chase after you with all we are and all we have. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I tell you, we, uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, I want to pay you a particular welcome and tell you how grateful we are that you are here. You know, I'm even seeing some faces. It's kind of neat. The last month, it's just like a homecoming every, every Sunday. We see faces that have been online and you've, you've gotten uh, your vaccination and are joining us. And I just want to welcome you back and say how good it is to be with you. And for those of you joining us online, I know some of you are still at home and waiting for that day. And in the meantime, um, you are at home with us and we are grateful for you being here too. Um, if you're joining with us for the first time, let me just catch you up where we've been all year long. We've been walking through John's gospel and uh, we're just a little over halfway through. Last Sunday, we talked all about this famous scene where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. This Sunday, we're gonna look at the fallout, the sequel of that moment. So if you have your Bibles with me, turn with me to John's gospel chapter 11. And if not, we'll have it up on the screens as well. Chapter 11, we're going to read verses 45 uh, to 54 uh, today. Let's, let's hear now God's word. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. 
So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the, not only for the nation, and not only for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, this morning I want to talk with you a little bit about how to loosen your grip. How to loosen your grip. Uh, growing up, I shared a room with my twin brother uh, up until about third grade. And for the most part, he made an awesome roommate. We, we loved living in that room together. It was like a childhood fort. Picture army men hanging from the walls and a racetrack going from one side of the room to the other with our micro machines. But there was one thing I could not handle about my twin brother growing up. And that was that my brother was a total slob. In fact, all my childhood, he was so cluttered, I nicknamed him with this endearing term. I called him Rob the Slob. For some reason, only a therapist could figure out from that point forward, I uh, began this perfectionist tendency in life. If he was going to be cluttered, I was going to overcompensate. Now, the messier that he got, the more type A I became. Some of you are going, this explains a lot already, Ryan. Now, fast forward 10 years later in college, God must have had a sense of humor because he once gave me well, not, not one messy roommate, but a second messy roommate. In fact, the messiest roommate in all of the college dorms. I kid you not, you could literally draw a line down the room of our dorm room. His side was papers, moldy clothes, disgusting leftover food for weeks. My side looked like obsessive compulsive disorder. Fast forward five years later to when Jen and I got married, and earlier in the series, I shared some of that with you. Um, but Jen was working in the city, right? So she didn't have a lot of time. She would spend hours commuting back and forth, which meant I had the time to clean the house and make it perfect before she got home. And you would think she would be grateful for this, except for when she got home, I wore it like a badge of honor. Look at what I did. And then, of course, we had kids, and um, well, that was ball game. That's where you wave the white flag, the markers on the walls. and the, I mean, what, what are you going to do? You're done. But I share all that with you. I give you that vulnerable moment. Um, step back. I step back and I look at those tendencies. And I have to admit, it's not really about cleanliness. If I'm honest with myself, it's really about control. See, the cleaner that my life is, the more in control I feel. Anybody else? Or am I the only one? Think about you for a minute. 
How does your need for control manifest itself? We all have that need, right? That need to, to feel in control. How does it manifest itself in your life? If you don't know, the person on your left or right would be happy to tell you. But remember in our story, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead, right? This was not just another miracle in John's gospel. This was a miracle of miracles. Last week, we opened up to that story where Mary had come for this crowd of friends to this place where they had laid her brother. He was good and dead. And as she stood there weeping in just three words, Jesus raises him. Lazarus, come out. And as a result of that miracle, the, the friends who had gathered around the tomb that day put their faith in Christ. That's what a miracle does, right? It brings glory to God and puts faith in God's people. But now today we open up the sequel of that story and these friends are so caught up in excitement of what just went down, they have to go tell someone. The dead have come to life, someone has to know. So a few were told, called up their pastors, the Pharisees. They say, you're never gonna believe this. But as they explained what happened, the enthusiasm of this miracle this morning, it hits a complete dead end because the Pharisees are obsessed with control. See, they hear this story and they have no, no choice but to admit this man has earth-changing power. Jesus is making waves. And yet they refuse to believe because they're scared of what might happen if they do. They could lose. Look at this in verse 47 to 48. See, what are we gonna do? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and they will take away both our place and our nation. Let's go to that next slide here. Our place and our nation. The Pharisees are terrified of losing their grip. Never underestimate the power of fear and control combined into one cocktail. If we allow this man to continue at this pace, we're going to lose everything. First, we're going to lose our temple. Then we're going to lose our nation. And then we'll lose our power. It's an ironic statement, right? Because Rome had already defeated Israel. They had already done damage to the city of Jerusalem. Rome had already taken hold of the people. They were already occupied. And these Jewish leaders, they were just hanging on by a thread. The Roman authorities, they made this deal with them. They said, as long as you obey us and our laws, we'll let you lead your people. You can be our puppets. But to the Pharisees, this situation is more than troubling. Right? The Jewish people had been waiting for this military Messiah to come and overthrow Rome. We've learned that already in the series. And it appears that one might have arrived who could accomplish the task. But this is anything but good news to the Pharisees because they're worried about the timing. He can't lead a revolution. We're not ready. The, the insurrection will fail and Rome is going to again conquer us. And this time he'll destroy us. As you skim over the story, it might seem as though the Pharisees have good intentions. They're just trying to protect their place and their people. Except for there's one word that takes this harmless concern and, and reveals the sinful heart of these men. Look at this. Can you find it? Look it up on the screens. I, I underlined it for you. What are we going to do? If we let them go on like this, they'll take away our people and our nation. What is it about a possessive pronoun that gets us so excited? These leaders, they're, they're not concerned with the well-being of the public. They're, they're out for themselves. 
They want control. In fact, so much so that they're convinced the temple and God's people belong not to Jesus or the Father, but to them. They said, we can't just sit here doing nothing. If, if we let this man lead, we're gonna lose everything. You ever been in that place before? Where deep down you knew you had little control over a situation, but you desperately wanted to control the outcome anyway? Where the, where the more that you watched, the, the more that you felt the need to step in and take over. It seems to me that if your life is anything like mine, we're a possessive people. We want to believe that we have far more control and power than we, we really do. You know, in the office, somebody moves up the ladder and into management and suddenly this is my office and these are my employees. Or we have children and rather than steward them for Christ, they become our trophies somehow. We assume these are my children and this is my house. From an early age, we buy that new toy and we say, well, that's my toy. I bought it with my money. Our most prized possessions somehow become our most coveted. And don't get me wrong, it's not a bad thing to take ownership uh, for caring for something or someone that's been entrusted to you. In fact, look at this. This is how God designed life. Look at this, Genesis 1.26. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let's give them dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, and the livestock. All the earth. It's a good thing to care for your people and your things, but then came the fall. And ever since sin crept into the equation, that possessive pronoun becomes a slippery slope. It's this tug of war that we have with God where the words my and our seem to fester into something far more controlling than God intended. I love how 1 Corinthians 4, 7 puts this. Look at this. Paul says, what do you have that you didn't receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? In other words, if everything we have and everything we are actually belongs to God, and if those things were given to us that we might steward them for him, why do we live as though it all belongs to us? Remember that famous scene from, from Nemo? Everybody's watched Nemo by now. At the end of the movie, towards the end, Marlon and Nemo are just about to escape, and they land out onto a deck, and they're flopping back and forth on the deck. They're just about to run, run into the, the ocean, and all's going to be well, and then they look up, and there's a whole line of seagulls sitting on the wire. Remember that moment? Remember what the seagull said? Mine? Mine? For the Pharisees, this is the worst kind of admission. They admit the power of Jesus on the one hand. They, they confess his signs and wonders are real. And yet with the same breath, they believe that the temple and the people of God belong to them. We have to stop this man. It's kind of like the control button on our keyboards. You know, back in the beginning of Microsoft, uh, developers realized that in any given keyboard, you only had a, a physical space to work with. So to make more keys, they invented the alt and the control key. Both are known as modifier keys. In fact, on its own, go try it. You can push the control button. It doesn't do anything has no use. But if you push it with another key, the control key begins to modify the outcome. And we love the control button. Control C means copy, control S means save, control F means find. But when we use that same control key over our lives, we end up in trouble every time. We wanna control our kids, we wanna control our money, we wanna control our spouses, our friendships, our church. And we expect that when we hit the modifier key, we can somehow control the outcome. You know, but when we come at life with that mindset, it's a disaster every time. And here's why. Any good counselor will tell you 
the best way to control an outcome in a room is not any of them or any of that. It's you. So this man named Caiaphas, he shows up and he's the high priest. He's the senior leader that year. And he steps into this conversation of fear and control. And look at this in verse 49. Look at what he says. He says, you guys know nothing. It'd be better if we just let this man perish for the nation rather than the entire nation lose. That's important that you understand the irony of this moment. Caiaphas has just accused his listeners of knowing nothing about what they speak of. And yet Caiaphas himself is quite confused. Um, Caiaphas is thinking, let the man lead, they'll kill him, we'll be done with him, the nation will be spared, Rome's wrath will be poured out on Christ, it'll all be good. Caiaphas has no idea that his words are actually prophetic. Look at how John steps in and explains this. He says, he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, not only for the nation, but to gather all the children of God who are scattered abroad. Jesus won't just die at the hands of Rome. He's gonna die at the hands of his own people. And he's not only gonna die to spare the nation, he's about to die and bring salvation for all the nations. See, whether you were Caiaphas or the Jewish leaders or the Pharisees or the crowd, what none of them saw coming was Jesus didn't come for a revolution, he came for salvation. See, the problem with the control button is that we only see the picture that's in front of us. It's like that famous example of the elephant. You've heard it. One sees a foot, one sees a floppy ear, one sees a tusk, but only God sees the portrait. And so often in life, we see this situation playing out in front of us, whatever it is. And yet for some reason, we even know we have a nearsighted problem, but we try to control things we weren't meant to control. We keep hitting the control button over and over again, expecting different results when the entire time, let's be honest, we have no idea what God's doing because we never stop to ask. Rewind with me back to last week's lesson. Mary and Martha, their brother, remember he's dying and they thought, well, if we just write this note to Jesus, it'll all work out. If you would have just came when we told you so, he would have been alive. Why didn't you follow my, land, my plan, Jesus? Jesus says, let's, let's follow mine. Walk down to the grave with me. See, and for some reason from this point forward, God's word tells us, all the Pharisees could see is threat. Look at this in verse 53. So from that day on, they made more plans to put him to death. We gotta listen really, really carefully to this part. Um, this is the fatal mistake that the Pharisees made, certainly, but it's the same fatal mistake we still today make as God's people. Children rebel against their parents because all of their childhood, moms and dads tried to control what they thought was theirs. Marriages fall apart because we try to change our spouse rather than looking inward at ourselves. Churches die off because a few within wanted control and instead of thinking outward, the church begins thinking inward. This is my building. These are my people. This is my church. Even our own bodies are on loan from God, right? No matter how hard you try to control the outcome, even your own body is wasting away. But we somehow believe that our plans should be his plans rather than the other way around. You might've heard the story of the, the woodpecker who was pecking on the trunk of this, this dead tree in the middle of uh, the forest trying to knock it over. And suddenly lightning struck the tree and splintered it in two. The woodpecker was quite flustered. He flew away from the sudden shock, but as he did a fly back over to survey the damage, he was amazed. He puffed his feathers up and cleared his throat and declared to the whole forest, look what I just did. 
whatever God has blessed you with in your life, it's his. Whatever relationships you have that you've been given, they belong to him. Whatever blessings and provisions, they first came from his hands. Whatever power is only yours to steward for him. And here's the reality. In the end, we keep none of it. Look at this in Ecclesiastes 5. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he might carry it away in his hand. What I'm saying this morning is maybe it's time we loosen our grip. One way we might think about this, and this is not original at all. You've heard this before, but it's worth bringing up again. What if you thought about your life as a car? You know, a lot of us, we put Jesus in the passenger seat and he's good there, right? Like you can give me directions, I'm gonna go ahead and drive. Some of us, we wanna put Jesus in the back seat. Nobody likes a backseat driver. Just go to bed, Jesus. You can talk when I'm ready. I've got this. Some of us, we don't even want Jesus in the car. This is my car. I'm, I've got the, the coordinates. I know where I'm going. GPS has got me covered. But if that's you, let's be real. That's a burdensome place to be, isn't it? It's a real burden to carry that. You know, I don't know about you, but I have to admit, the, the bumpier the road in my life, the more tense my grip gets on the wheel, the more I want control. I want to have complete control over the, the vehicle in front of me. In a torrential rainstorm, I'm leaning forward, both hands on the wheel. I'm focused. I'm going to get the job done. But if you're living life like that, that's an exhausting posture to keep, right? Remember, when was the last time you were in a real tense situation behind the wheel like that? Remember how that felt? Your neck cranches up. Your back gets all tight. See, at the end of the day, we're not the sovereign one. God is. And if you believe that, if you believe that to be true, we've got to change our grip a bit. Maybe it's that the house stays a bit messier so that we can focus on what matters. I'm going to hear that one. I guarantee you that's coming back at me. Or maybe it's that we spend more time praying for our kids rather than trying to control them. Maybe instead of lying awake at night worrying about my health or my finances or my future or even my past, maybe it's that, that I remember that God's in control, always was, always will be. See, what the Pharisees couldn't see, what they refused to see, is not that Jesus was all powerful. They acknowledged that at this point. It wasn't whether or not he had performed these miracles and could do good things. They saw that firsthand. What they refused to see was that Jesus was Lord. It's his temple. It's his people. They couldn't let go of their grip. So let me just ask this week, what is it right now that you need to let go of? Loosen your grip on. Jesus said, if you follow me, this is how it should go. My yoke should be easy. My burden should be light. You shouldn't be carrying that. At the end of our lesson this morning, the, the Jewish leaders were looking for Jesus everywhere, right? They were canvassing the place. Chief priests, Pharisees, they had given these orders to the entire city. If you find him, tell us. We're going to arrest him and put this guy away. This is our temple. These are our people. They had no idea that Jesus had already left for Ephraim. He was long gone. And they had no idea that even when they would capture him and arrest him and try him and kill him, even then they were still playing into the hand of the sovereign Lord. So this week, this is my invitation to us. Whatever it is that's got fear and control wrapped up in your mind, loosen your grip a bit. Your hands weren't meant for that tight of a grasp. God's hands were meant for that. Let's ask God to help us do that. Will you pray with me?
God, you gave us this, this crazy responsibility to have dominion over this planet, Lord, to lead. God, you, you called on us as your created beings, as human beings to, to have authority. And yet, Lord, we confess that in the midst of our sin, we, we wanna take it all. Lord, we forget that we are not gods of our lives. We're not gods of this earth. We're not gods of our outcomes, Lord, but you are. So God, we ask this morning, would you help us in our leadership to remember who it is that we follow? God, help us to loosen our grip this week. Lord, to help us to trust in you in those moments when it's, it's difficult. God, would you remind us of where it is that you're at in the car? God, and hard as it is, difficult as we try, Lord, we need your help to let go and to let you. So God, watch over us today and this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.